yet another hot year globally. The latest report is out from the World Meteorological Organization. The last five years, including 2019, are likely to be the warmest five years since 1850. Extending our data network, we talk crowdsourcing. If we're able to monitor signal levels, it tells us something about rainfall between the base station and the mobile phone. And from fog and frost to wet and windy. There'll certainly be a lot of showers around on Friday. These will be lively in places with gusty winds, hail and thunder. It's Thursday the 5th of December and you're listening to Weathersnap from the Met Office. Hello, I'm Claire Nazir and you're listening to Weathersnap, an insider's guide to the week's weather brought to you direct from Met Office HQ. The latest report from the WMO or World Meteorological Organization was released this week and highlights where 2019 sits in terms of hot years globally. Graham Madge, Senior Press Officer for Climate, told me more. What we've seen, Claire, with the latest release is the fact that 2019 is projected to be the second or third warmest year in a series stretching back to 1850. So WMO have it as second year. We're calling it most likely to be the third warmest year in that series. But let's not get hung up on the difference between those two. What we do know is that the last five years, including 2019, are likely to be the warmest five years in that series since 1850. Why do we go back to the, the year 1850? It's a good proxy for pre-industrial period before carbon dioxide emissions started to increase dramatically. And also, when you go back in time, it's a period when we have a lot more certainty in the observations and we have a more comprehensive network for measuring global temperature. Let's put this in perspective because for many years we talked about 1998 as being one of the most standout years in terms of global temperature. But when you look at it on a map now, it's well below the last five years as an average of global temperature. So if you look at the average temperatures over the last decade, which 2019 will conclude, the average of that series actually comes out slightly above the peak of 1998. But that's only half the story, because if you look back at the top 10 coldest years, we don't have in that record a top 10 coldest year occurring since 1917. Let's talk now about impacts, sea level rise in one case. If you look at all of those different ways of measuring climate change, they're all sending very much similar signals. You get a lot of variation as you would expect, but if you interpret the general trends, they're all showing the same things. So what you have with ocean heat content is the ocean effectively storing heat. Uh, it takes it down into the deep ocean. And obviously sea ice is a big player, heat waves, droughts, you know, the list just goes on and on. If you look at all of these various ways of measuring climate change, they're all sending very much the same signal. And if you route back to the measurement of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, then obviously that has been very steady since we've been measuring it since the late 1950s. And that shows year on year this incremental increase in carbon dioxide which obviously is at the main root of causing 
global temperatures to rise. Graham Madge, thank you very much. Modern weather forecasts are the result of complex computer models that work to increasing levels of detail, but the models are only as good as the observations data we feed in, and as model resolution continues to increase, so does the need for more observations data. One solution may lie with crowdsourcing, taking data from connected devices such as mobile phones or vehicle sensors to increase our knowledge of weather conditions at local level. To learn more about the forecasting possibilities of crowdsourcing, Ellie Silkstone spoke to Met Office Science Fellow Observations R&D, Malcolm Kitchen. We need so much more data to feed into the forecast models, it's not possible to simply expand our existing observational networks to fill the gap. It's not physically possible and it's not economically possible either. We need so much more data, we have to look for alternative sources. What is the Met Office actually doing already with crowdsourced data? The first example is the use of GPS. If you have a very accurate GPS receiver, it will appear to change its location very slightly. And it changes its location because of changes in the propagation of the radio waves through the atmosphere. In partnership with the Ordnance Survey, we make use of the Ordnance Survey's network of 100 GPS receivers around the country to map changes in humidity. The second example is where we use navigational data broadcasts from civil aircraft to derive wind information. And this has become operational just this year. And overnight, it's increased the volume of wind data available in UK airspace by more than a factor of 10. Where else is this being done? There's been work going on looking at exploiting data from cars, not just the temperature sensor, but also whether the windscreen wipers are on tells you something about whether it's raining or not. The light sensors tell you maybe how cloudy it is. Another example would be data from mobile phones, particularly the new 5G phones use very high frequencies which are attenuated in rainfall. So if we're able to monitor signal levels, it tells us something about rainfall between the base station and the mobile phone. The technology is there, but there are always questions about data privacy. Yeah, data privacy and data ownership are very important issues. It is something that is at least as important as the actual technology questions themselves. In the future, what benefits will this bring? I think more accurately targeted warnings will enable people to be better prepared for severe weather. It will avoid more people than is necessary taking any mitigating action, which might be costly, and it enables the people who will be affected to take more effective mitigating action. Ellie Silkstone talking to Malcolm Kitchen. A change of weather type this past 24 hours has brought rain and wind. Here's Aidan with the details. Well, following what has been a relatively calm week across many parts of the UK, with frost and fog prevalent in the south, the weather's turning much more unsettled during the next few days, much more changeable, much more buoyant. 
There'll certainly be a lot of showers around on Friday. These will be lively in places with gusty winds, hail and thunder. They move out of the way for the start of the weekend. And actually, Saturday looks like being the best day of the weekend in many places with sunny spells to begin with and a brief weather window in between weather systems. But there'll be further showers into the north of Scotland as we begin the weekend and these will be wintry with sleet and snow in places. And for the west of Scotland, Northern Ireland, Northwest England, as well as parts of Wales, the weather soon goes downhill during Saturday afternoon with the cloud thickening, the wind picking up and rain setting in. Now this wet and windy weather sweeps across all parts of the UK during Saturday night. And then Sunday starts off bright, yes, but further lively downpours in many northern and western parts of the day to begin with, and then those spreading east to affect many areas by the afternoon. Again, these showers will be lively, hail and thunder along with gusty winds, temperatures in the south reaching 12 degrees, and further north, those temperatures lowering through the day to allow some wintriness to the showers we're keeping a keen eye on the winds later on Sunday because there is the potential for even stronger winds to arrive into southwestern parts of the country with gusts exceeding 60 miles an hour on Sunday evening. Now, Ollie Clayton has last week's highs and lows. Here are your weekly extremes from Monday the 25th of November to Sunday the 1st of December. The highest max occurred on Tuesday the 26th when Pershaw in Worcestershire reached a high of 14.6 Celsius. Tullock Bridge in the Highlands was the coldest place with a minima of minus 10.3 during the early hours of Sunday morning. The wettest day was in Charlesfield, Suffolk on Wednesday the 27th of November with 23.4 millimetres. Monday was the sunniest day in East Malling in Kent with a daily sunshine total of 7.5 hours. Thank you, Ollie. That's it for Weather Snap. I'm Claire Nazir. This week's producer was Adrian Holloway. Do join us again next time as we take a closer look at the week's weather headlines. Weather Snap is a podcast by the UK Met Office.